0: Tune in to Resonance FM for for an oral... Oh, God, I can't say this word.
1: Do your ears need exercising? Tune in to Resonance 104.4 FM for an oral workout or or on the web
0: on ResonanceFM.com No, it's uh, it's the perfect word for it, isn't it? And what
1: was it for an oral... Uh, owl, owl, owl. <laughs> ow, ow, ow. Ow,
0: ow, ow, I'm Merck. You listen uh, The Bicycle Show on uh, Resonance 104.4 FM.
2: right you're listening to the bike show here on resonance 104.4 fm my name's jack thurston and we're talking about cycle superhighways. according to london's mayor boris johnson these are going to be one of the keys that will open the door to turn london into one of the world's great cycling cities He's
0: got a They can have the cat and I can tea but you But give me my rockin' bicycle for two
2: That's right. This is the show about the cycle superhighways, which, um, according to some people, are a waste of blue paint, and according to other people, are going to be brilliant, and going to get lots more people riding their bikes to work every day. What is a cycle superhighway? A cycle superhighway is um, one of 12 routes that will, um, according to the TFL press release I've got in front of me, deliver benefits to cyclists by making it safer and easier to commute by bike between the outer and inner London boroughs, on direct and continuous cycle routes. Uh, The two first routes are going to be open in the summer um, on the 19th of July, if everything goes to plan. And um, a little while ago, a couple of days ago, I went down to the Elephant and Castle uh, to find out a little bit more about the cycle superhighways and bike routes in general.
0: Living easy, living free, season ticket on a one-way ride. Asking nothing, leave me be. I'm taking everything in my stride. Don't need reasons, don't need rhyme. There ain't nothing that I'd rather do. I'm going down, it's party time. Yeah, my friends are going to be there too. On the highway to hell. Highway to hell.
2: I'm down here at the Elephant and Castle with Rob Ainsley who's a local resident and author of um, the Real Cycling blog um, which is a blog about cycling in London and other places and also author of some cycling books including 50 Quirky Bike Rides which has been featured on the bike show previously. Rob, you're a great fan of bike lanes aren't you? Tell us about some of your favourites.
3: London's a great place to go around by bike and there's all sorts of quirky and funny and amusing things that you see uh, from the saddle and bike lanes produce all this really weird and wacky stuff Um, we're on the Elephant and Castle bypass here and around the other side uh, half a mile or so away um, the bike lane, the Elephant and Castle bypass is actually blocked by a phone box and apparently the phone box is listed which tells you something about the rise of mobile phones that the phone box is now a sort of part of our So
2: that's protected by conservation legislation, and it it blocks up the bike lane.
3: It's some sort of uh, piece of antiquity and history. Uh,
2: There's something quite charming about that.
3: There is, yes. Um, A bit less charming is the bike lane along Nine Elms, which is not far from here, about two or three miles to uh, to our west. And that one, it goes past Battersea Dogs and Cats Home. There's one stretch of about 50 metres where it's blocked five times by posts actually in the middle of the bike lane with various signs on and two of the signs are for the bike lane, telling you that it's a bike lane. And they block the bike lane, so you can't use it. Um, and, you know, you, you get all sorts of uh, examples. There's another one on the Elephants and Castle bypass, um, just around the corner from here, where you're going along and suddenly you have to sort of switch sides. That The two cycle lanes cross over, and you're suddenly cycling on the right instead of on the left. So it's very continental, you know, it sort of puts you in the, in the European mood.
2: Well, the um, Mayor's Cycle Superhighways are soon to be upon us, and I think you're the one who's credited with introducing uh, the moniker Superficial Highways. What's the thinking behind that, Superficial Highways?
3: Uh, Well, Superficial Cycleways... It's not a bad idea, but it's a blue stripe in the road, really. No more, no less. And... uh, It it may well help a lot of people. It sort of provides a visual clue that there are cyclists using this main road and you should watch out for them. So I'm I'm not entirely against the idea. I'm just against the hype and the portrayal of these cycle superhighways as if they were some wonderful Copenhagen-style new facility which will enable cyclists to to sort of like a cycling motorway where you can just keep going without stopping. They're a blue stripe in the road, no more no less. You still have to keep stopping at lights... You still have to keep giving way all the time. It's really not much better than we've got at the moment, only instead of being painted green, they're painted blue.
2: And we're here um, at this junction on um, Cycle Superhighway 7 to B, where there is some roadworks. They're going to be remodelling the junction, it looks like, and a bunch of BMX bandits just going past. I've got a little bit of a pet peeve on this one, because I work nearby here, and I cross over this um, twice a day. And the wait to get across the the traffic um, is is interminable and what i want to do is actually catch the next signal so that we can get an idea for um, how long that wait is going to be this will be a wait that cyclists are expected to to, uh, to endure um every morning on their on their ride in and every evening on their on their ride home um, but let's wait for that that green light to come around
3: oh there we okay, go okay
2: th- so it's going green so the cyclists now have 10 seconds to get across here.
3: And, and at the moment, they're fighting for space with the pedestrians because of all this roadworks and yeah. all the sort of barriers around. Oh, there it is.
2: Okay, so now cyclists stop.
3: Oh, somebody and just,
2: somebody's just caught that light, bit of an amber gambler there. All right, now the cars are back. are still here i mean i suppose it'll be quite sociable
3: it is and you know you can get chatting swap phone numbers and stuff maybe do a bit of bike repair while I mean, you do you think
2: there'll be a too, too many people here it's quite a small bit of space
3: yeah i think this will be quite a bottleneck it's it's um, a pretty narrow junction and uh, I, I know that at rush hour you get as many cyclists as as individual cars as private cars so uh, i think this really will be quite a, a bottleneck
2: do you think they'll have to kettle the cyclists
3: yeah, perhaps we should have a lollipop lady uh, helping the cyclist across. Oh, we're still on red. We're still on
2: red, chatting away, and um, yeah, just wait a little bit longer.
3: Nice view of the Eye from here. Can see London
2: Eye. Yeah, I can yeah. see the Imperial Museum. Okay, and there uh, we are. There we there go. We go. Right. There we go. Yeah. Now that is, by my count, one minute and twenty seconds that you have to wait till you get your 10-second window. To cross
3: yeah so it's eight times you're waiting eight times as long um, which I don't think reflects the amount of, of traffic versus cyclists not in rush hour anyway
0: On highway ahead
2: talking there with Rob Ainsley and music from Haysey, Dixie, Highway to Hell. And I didn't think it was fair to, uh, to leave the studied cynicism of, uh, of Rob Ainsley to be the last word um, on the cycle superhighways. And we'll be hearing from Charlie Lloyd of the London Cycling Campaign in just a moment. But um, I took some questions down to Kulvia Ranger, who is the uh, Mayor of London's uh, lead advisor on transport, um, including the cycling uh, revolution. Um, and I, I asked him um, to tell me a little bit more about Cycle Superhighways. And he was uh, keen to tell me that the mayor um, and Transport for London had been listening very hard to what cyclists
1: have had to say. When we listened to cyclists, we heard them say, we want to have continuous direct routes as part of the main roads not the back streets not cycle lanes that stop and start and disappear something that we can feel safe and secure on when we're cycling on the main roads with the rest of traffic and we want them to be clearly defined so that we know where we're going and there's better signage on them fundamentally this was their request but also by differentiating on the road surface on the main roads where people can expect to see cyclists And where other motorists will be and other road users, you provide further confidence to people. Everybody who uses the road surface realises that there are more and more cyclists, especially on the main roads. And their main concern is ensuring that everybody feels safe. If you can help by defining that space, help delineating it for people, we feel that will be a really good win to increasing safety and that's what it's about.
2: You talk about delineating space, and there will be paint used to delineate the space. Some people are saying that there ought to be a little bit more than paint, that there ought to be actual physical
1: separation like you have in um, other countries on the continent of Europe. You know, this is London. This is a great city, has a great history, and it has a great network of roads. We're not going to be building more and more roads. What we need to do is understand how we can use the space better, how we can share the road space, and then... When we're seeing these pelotons of cyclists, this increase in numbers, we want to make people feel safer. So we feel by delineating in, in some areas there will be some actual physical measures because where there is a crucial need to provide more safer measures, we will do that. But on the whole, it's about helping people to understand that they are sharing the road space. There are going to be buses, there are going to be cars, there are going to be cyclists, there are going to be motorbikes, and how we can all use that space better. In some cases, it is actually... More and more cyclists mean that actually the actual uh, speed of traffic can sometimes come down to a 20 mile per hour more average speed. And that's increasing safety, you have a continuous flow, you have people who can then actually feel more confident and safer about doing it. And it's about motorists feeling more confident as well. We've listened to motorists, they're also saying we understand there are more cyclists, we want to understand where we can find them on the road space. So you mentioned that
2: cyclists might find buses, cars and motorbikes sharing the superhighways with them. Um, You didn't mention heavy goods vehicles and lorries, and this is obviously the big concern right now. I cycled in today here to uh, uh, Shoreditch from Elephant and Castle, and I passed the spots where three London cyclists have been killed by heavy goods vehicles. What will the cycle superhighways do to make
1: cyclists safer from heavy goods vehicles turning left? Any death, any accident on our road surface is a real tragedy, and we examine it in great depth, especially when we're looking at cyclists at this moment in time when we're in the midst of a year of cycling and we're delivering a real revolution in cycling. So safety is our priority, and heavy goods vehicles have been identified as a key factor in cycling fatalities. What we're trying to do, especially on the superhighways, and we've been talking to the Freight Transport Association and many other organisations involved with heavy goods, about looking at the times that those vehicles use the superhighways. We've had specific actions that we're looking at to minimise the impact of heavy goods vehicles on superhighways, especially at peak times when we know the majority of cyclists are using them in the commuter periods. That's what we're trying to do. We're also talking about how we can have to government, about lobbying them in terms of better safety, better sensors, more uh, barriers on the sides of HGVs, because we know of HGV without barriers. Sometimes the fatality happens as the cyclist is dragged underneath the wheels of the HGV. These are things that we've analysed, we're looking at, lobbying government, putting in specific measures, talking to the industry itself. The heavy goods vehicle industry is also responding. They are aware that this is a critical issue for them as well, not just for all of us cyclists. I myself today have cycled in from Victoria to Shoreditch. I've passed heavy goods vehicles. We all sense that slight bit of anxiety as a cyclist when we're near one. We want to try and minimise that. Jenny Jones on the London Assembly has
2: called for
1: a morning rush hour ban on heavy
2: goods vehicles in London um, you know, while this crisis is, is going on as a sort of emergency
1: measure. What do you say to that? Well, you know, it's not an emergency measure. I think we need to be rational about what we're talking about. London is a huge city. And there are certain things that have to happen at certain points of the day. Also, we know a lot of the heavy goods vehicles are part of the investment in construction programs that are going on, the rebuilding, where we're, we're talking about crossrail, where we're talking about major buildings, infrastructure. So there's a lot of work that, and spoil and equipment that needs to be moved around our city, as well as deliveries, as well as business demands. We are looking at trying to minimise when heavy goods vehicles are being used at times when we know that cyclists are using the roads at a peak periods. But having a blanket ban is not always the best approach because somebody always suffers when you just ban things. That's not a rational and pragmatic approach to dealing with things. I think you have to be a bit more sophisticated, a bit more logical and find appropriate measures at appropriate points and appropriate times of the day. That's what we're doing. That's why we hope to make things safer.
2: I was talking there with Kulvia Ranger and um, jo- <laughs> we were joined by a police car. Um, hopefully not. I don't think it was an ambulance passing um, at the opportune moment. Now, in the studio with me to, uh, to pick over um, some of that is uh, Charlie Lloyd, Campaigns Officer of the London Cycling Campaign. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Hi there, Jack. So Coolvia says that he's been listening to cyclists. Has he been listening to the London Cycling Campaign and what have you been telling him about Cycle Superhighways?
4: Um, he's definitely been listening to, well, TfL have been listening to us because uh, you know, we, without inv- invitation, told them what we thought and got involved in the process and uh, put a lot of effort, a lot of volunteer effort into studying what the proposals were, what the routes were and uh, what might be done on them. And are you happy with the results? Um um, that's a difficult one. Where we we don't really know what the results will be. We're obviously unhappy about some of the issues on the, on the lanes on on the cycle superhighways. Uh, we don't think they're going to be as super as Corvair seems to think they should be. I think um, you know he talks about listening to cyclists and you know, he's asked cyclists what do you want and they want uh, they want sort of straight through. Uh, Non-stop routes, if you ask a car driver what do they want, they want a motorway from their front door to where they work with no traffic and nothing else. Uh, That's reasonable, but really, in in the real world, delivering traffic is a lot more complex than that. Delivering safe routes for cyclists, continuous routes,
2: it's more difficult than that. Because these superhighways won't be direct and continuous i mean they'll look that way on the map but there will be lots of stopping and starting and there will be bits where they uh, don't exist um, and where the cyclist might as well be on a regular road main road right i think you know to give them credit they have tried to make
4: these main roads as continuous in terms of continuous blue paint but you're absolutely right in terms of stopping and starting we did suggest the various off the main road routes, the quieter streets where for a similar investment, you'd have a route with far fewer stops, far fewer traffic lights. And if it was signed properly, if people could find it, if they were sure and confident where it was leading to, well, that would work for a lot of people better than these, even if they were the best possible routes on the main road where
2: there is a traffic light every two or 300 yards. Is there a culture or a philosophy clash here between the people who want the direct Injection route, um, th- you know, along the main roads, um, maybe segregated ideally, but then in this case not segregated. Versus the the sort of permeability school of thinking, which says, well, actually, we what we want to be doing is is making every uh, road in London part of the cycle network, not just saying these blue ones are for the cyclists, and and in fact, what the, 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 it should be the neighbourhood streets that should be permeable to to cycling rather than saying you know we're just going to funnel them in on these on these arterial on these arterial highways uh, well there are several
4: things there the permeability every road is part of the cycle network cyclists should be allowed to use every road and where there are blockages especially blockages built in the name of traffic management you know they should be opened up for cyclists that's that's obvious to anyone who cycles around but it's a question of investment and where is the best spend of money there is a need for direct continuous routes to support commuter traffic, to supports of longer distance journeys. But it's not the same to say that even though the A24, A3 is more or less a straight line, when you add in all the cross traffic, all the junctions, that doesn't in in effect become a straight continuous route. It doesn't become the most effective route. There could be a slightly wiggly route with far fewer traffic lights, which from the cyclist's point of view would be a more continuous, a more direct route.
2: And have you seen some of the videos that I think have been posted, in fact, by the LCC? I'm not sure if they were filmed by the LCC of some of the early sections of um, the route that goes down through Tooting and Balham and Clapham um, showing, you know... The fact that it's basically filled up with buses and cars and it's actually quite difficult to you know do what you're supposed to do, which is stay in the blue and get to the front at the and to the advanced stop lines. Have you seen those films? They're quite compelling, aren't they?
4: Yes, we, we, we've done a few. There, there are probably three or four of them out there now. And there's, there's the mayor's Transport for London's own film showing a kind of glorified view where there is perhaps – of the real motor traffic level and cyclists. The the police
2: came along and stopped the traffic to make those TFL films didn't they Um, but
4: you know it it highlights several issues and and you said where cyclists, well where buses and cars are in the blue where the cyclists should be. In some instances we're not at all happy with where the blue is and if it's Telling cyclists that they should be at the extreme left of the road in in some cases they are only one metre fifty, which is in our view the absolute minimum of a, a cycle route. and if you're talking about a cycle route for a mass of cyclists, it should be much wider, and especially there's great concern where these routes cross over side junctions, where there is a strip of blue, perhaps one metre fifty wide, which is at the left edge of the road and continues at the left edge of the road through the, through a turning where motor traffic coming to that junction or turning on and off it, the left, if the cyclist is to the left side, it's the hardest place to see the cyclist. The driver may think the cyclist is about to turn. There's lots of
2: potential for confusion and conflict. I was talking with um, Klaus Bondam, who is uh, one of the mayors of Copenhagen. He has the responsibility for transport. And I asked him, in fact, on the bike show a few months ago, what was the hardest decision that he had to make? Um, to do things for cycling in Copenhagen. And he said it was very simple. It was taking away car parking spaces and giving it over to bike lanes. That doesn't seem to be part of uh, the Cycle Superhighway proposal, does it? Not at all. I mean,
4: we, we haven't seen the detail on all the routes. And I think what we're getting in July, we're getting two routes, one through Southwark and Lambeth and on to Merton and another one in East London. And they're quite different. The Route 7, which is the South London one, is uh, on main roads, the A3, the A24, where a lot of cases there isn't cycle parking. Uh, This is already a main... Sorry, there isn't car parking very much, but there is a problem with lorries doing deliveries to shops. And there is some give and take on that, but possibly not enough. On the other routes, which are on um, quieter roads... They haven't taken away cycle parking. Where sorry, car parking again. They haven't taken away car parking. Where if they did take
2: some of the car parking away, it would provide a much better route for the cyclists. What's holding politicians back? Is it the money? Is it the politics? Is it the public opprobrium that would be heaped on their heads if they took away some uh, car parking spaces?
4: Money is definitely an issue. Everyone knows that at this time and. When the mayor came in, he talked about 12 superhighways by 2012. Well, that agenda has slipped a very long way from there. Uh, we're getting some, and the money, the investment is going up. But compared to the money that was being invested before in cycle, London Cycle Network across all the boroughs of London, uh as far as we know, and we're not sure of the figures yet, but it looks like the actual money going into these routes, these 12 routes spread over what might be seven or eight years now, is less money spent on cycle routes. So you know, there is an issue of money. The politics, and particularly the politics of road space, uh, there seems to be still reluctance to say that in the, sa- in the situations where you're going to have very high flows of cyclists, a thousand cyclists an hour, uh, in some cases far more cyclists than any other traffic on sections of these routes. And still the engineers aren't prepared to give cyclists more priority. They, you have that ridiculous situation, and I don't know if that's going to continue where you get 80 seconds for cars and 10 seconds for cycles. and uh, We know cyclists are much more efficient at going through junctions, but even then, you know, if there was an e- equal time for each, you would get two or three
2: times as many cyclists through as motor vehicles in that equal time. I did put it to the press officers of Transport for London, whether there would be um, a green wave type of re-sinking of the traffic lights. Uh, I, they said that there were going to be 32 junctions on those two cycle routes, uh, the cycle superhighways launching this summer, which are going to be re in some way. But they didn't say exactly what the re was going to be. But they did say that there was no, not going to be a green wave or a blue wave, or you don't want to call it, it's a, it's a green wave because it's the green traffic lights, which is a green wave is essentially the, the scheduling of... Um, traffic lights to allow a bicycle travelling at you know ten or twelve um, miles per hour, maybe less, to um, to basically see green all the way through. And this um, exists in a number of places. That I think they were trialling one in San Francisco on Valencia Street. Um, there's one in Copenhagen, and I'm sure in other parts of the world there are green green waves. These are under consideration, but not part of the plan currently. Is that something that LCC supports and has been pushing for? We, we would like to see green waves again. Um, you're a
4: it is an experimental thing but it is recognition that on a road where you have say a thousand or even more th- cyclists per hour they you know, they can be the majority traffic and they should be given the majority of priority it you know it's common sense well you and i as cyclists think it's common sense it's quite difficult to get across to the traffic engineers and especially to the politicians who and we do have a cycling mayor, we have a cycling prime minister now, but generally the political view is that motor traffic has
2: priority for some reason. So we're running up to the, towards the end of the show, but I want to give you a chance to, to say a little bit more why people ought to join the London Cycling Campaign. You've got 11,000 members at the minute, and, and you're very assiduous at pushing their views to TfL, but if you had you know, double that membership, um, they'd listen to you twice as hard, I suppose. How, do, how can people join? People can join very easy. The most easy way is to go to our website,
4: uh, www.lcc.org.uk. Click on the button, say join and sign up and you'll become a member. And being a member, it means you're part of your local group in each borough where you can get involved with uh, social activities, rides and in the politicking and looking at street scenes and sort of talking to politicians. Uh, We try and cater for everything that cyclists want in London and we also help with we have free third party insurance for members and lots of other
2: benefits a free magazine six times a year Great, well thanks for coming on the show Charlie and hope to get you in um, later in July so we can actually take a look at these uh, things once they're actually um, on the streets of London and we'll come to a final judgement on whether they're any good or not
3: Resonance FM 104.4 The first radio it was a box with a cat's whiskers well, it's a little glass tube on top of the box, and to get the station, you had to twiddle a wire on this end here against a crystal in there, and that would change the station. But there was always a fight, because everybody wanted, there was only one set of earphones.
5: Testa a testa, Pantani Tonkov. È qui che si decide il giro d'Italia. Di Tonkov si è seduto, l'ennesimo scatto è stato deciso di Marco Pantani attenzione, attenzione, 5 secondi il vantaggio dei Pantani entriamo nell'ultima fase della tappa 600 metri all'arrivo e Pantani cercherà adesso di dare tutto se stesso in questi ultimi metri. Ora sul rettilineo fennale per questo applauso, questo Sanna da parte di tutti i tifosi. Questa è un'immagine che potrebbe restare nella storia del nostro sport. 30.000 persone qui a Campioni d'Italia, almeno il doppio erano lunghi tornanti di questa montagna. Pantani, un clacson che apre la strada, lui le ultime pedalati, Toffosi diventano pazzi. Marco Pantani vince, trionfa, alza le braccia al cielo.
2: The, the unmistakable sound of the Giro d'Italia which is going on right now and that's what we're going to be talking about on the show next week which will be coming live from Look Mum No Hands um, up there on Old Street uh, the latest and definitely greatest cycle bar cafe to have opened in London we have some copies of the Rafa Giro d'Italia themed CD compilation which I've contributed a couple of tracks to um, to win and to win that just send an email to at resonancefm.com with the answer to the following question which cyclist has spent longer than any other cyclist wearing the pink jersey, the pink jersey which denotes the leading cyclist in the Giro d'Italia. Tell me the name of that cyclist by email, bike show at resonancefm.com and um, three copies. I think that'll be a kind of first-come-first-served, so uh, be quick off the mark on that one. Until next week, chapeau, whatever they say in Italy. I don't know. What do they say in Italy? We'll find out. I'll tell you next week. Bye. We are in the town
4: of Verona. This stage is different from all the others. The 120 riders still in the race will cover a 25-mile circuit through the town. They don't compete against each other, but against the clock. They start one at a time at 90-second intervals. The time trial. To many experts, the race of truth has long been the domain of the powerhouse rider, such as Moser, Merckx, Bruggen and Pinotti.